see who covered it. The Houston Texans did. Watson looking for room to run and throws toward the end zone. It is caught for a touchdown. Randall Cobb. And the extra point is no good. Watson going to go deep all the way down to the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. Will Fuller. Watson throwing. So welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We're talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and adding to their ever-expanding list of Watson walking off the field. Up 7, 1.45 on the clock to go and the Texans drop it in overtime for now their fifth loss of the season. Joined this week and always incredibly lucky for all the people that come and join us on this show by Stephanie Stradley, lawyer and writer for the Houston Chronicle and more Recently, probably founder of the Find a Real GM campaign. <laughs> How you doing, Stephanie? All right? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, all right. Not too bad, I think. It's been a tough sled in this season so far, I think. Well, I really appreciate all the fans across the pond. Yeah, it's been, yeah. I think, yeah, it's been strange not being able to to, to go to a game this year. I think that's been the probably the strangest bit, just being confined to... Um, to your front, you know, your front room to watch the games. Have you have you been to NRG for any of these limited capacity games? Or I I have not. Yeah. I you know I have real complex feelings about that. You know, um, I've been to every single game except for one in in person, and that was because I had had a baby, so that was a pretty good excuse. <laughs> but um, no, I'm not really. I'm not really feeling it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you take the tailgate out, you take the atmosphere yeah. out. There's not much left, really, is there? So, well, and just you know, I, I, I don't, I don't need that energy in my life. You know, half the fun is just being together and being close, and that's there's no way to really do that right now. So, well, exactly. I mean, I've, I've said that to anybody that's ever asked me about why do you why you support the Houston Texans and I've said it's been about the people far more than it's ever been about the football and you take that element out of it it just feels like you know particularly with the backdrop of this season um, it feels a little bit empty at times but I thought Sunday for the first time this year has probably been the most entertaining to watch definitely not defensively and we'll come on to that but you know where it felt fun again for a for a, a brief spell in the third and in the fourth quarter. And I think, what do you think the sort of broader picture looks like now with this team at one and five? Yeah, uh, you clearly cannot ever be accused of being a bandwagon person. Now, I, 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 I think this season is about what, what can people learn? Now, they are not starting any rookies. Like, they are being this bad without playing many rookies. And, and part of that is just the unorthodox um, uh, front office that they've had. I mean, they have not drafted well. They have traded away draft picks. They have um, done trades at, at unorthodox times. And, you know, now, you know, everything's come to roost. I mean, I think some of these issues were a long time coming and Watson's been very good at hiding some of these, the issues that are ha- been happening over, over time. You know, for, for so many years, it was the defense that was, you know, saving people's jobs. And it took so long for the Texans to get a quarterback. And by the time that they did, their defense got old and gone. Yeah. And I, I think it's tough, right? Because you think you see the, just the, I mean, almost lifeless. And you know, particularly if you watch, you know, and we can talk about all the turning points in the game and all the, all the different, different plays that you know that that spun momentum and it jumped either way multiple times in the second half. But when it just comes down to the fundamental fact, that your defense cannot stop the run and hemorrhages six hundred yards. It doesn't matter who's at quarterback. Yeah, and and I think 
I think a fundamental part of that is just the way that the roster is put together. I mean, the Tennessee Titans are going to run on a lot of teams. They have put together their offense in a very different way. Like them and the Ravens are very much run oriented in what is, is across the league, a very pass oriented league. Right. And so, you know, it's hard to design a defense that plays well against that style of football, but also plays well against all the other teams in the league that are pass happy. And um, at, at some point, the, the biggest issues that they have is, you know, on the front seven, um, it's J.J. Watt and not a good combination of people around J.J. Watt to be good run stoppers. And, and then, uh, you know, on the back end, they've kind of manufactured with pieces and parts a secondary in a way that most teams don't. Most teams really put a priority on their secondary and they've had to kind of go, okay, we can't do this through the draft and we can't develop them. And we didn't have replacements for the, the players that we did draft. And so different elements of the defense either just kind of got old or got gone. And this is, this is what they have left. And I, you know, I don't blame Romeo Cornell for it looking this bad. I blame the front office because this is, this is a hard defense to do much with. I tip my cap in some ways to Anthony Weaver. You can see that in the snap count this weekend that he's trying to rotate people and keep them fresh and, and you know, and put them in positions where they can be successful. And there was some nice, nice wrinkles that he threw in again. Uh, but it feels like they can only do one or the other. If they, if they try and stop the run, they're going to get caught out on the back end and vice versa. Now, you'd think that was just, you know, sort of, you know, par for the course in terms of you know defensive game plan you can only do so much but I think we are so limited in some ways um you know and if you look up at that I mean I I watched back the all 22 this afternoon I just it's just we've just got guys in there you know and our probably our best player you know you said what and you know without a doubt but probably a guy that wasn't even on the squad PJ Hall probably had the best game of any defensive lineman you know and you think of all the players that have gone and you know, DJ Reader being the biggest one, Brandon Dunn's just just looks a bit slow. He's not quite got, you know, the athleticism and get off blocks. Charles Omeni, who struggles really badly against the run. Ross Blacklock's getting spun around. And I thought, look, he flashed in pass rushing. You know, we're talking about rookies not getting a, um, getting a, you know, ch- a chance to develop this season. You know, he got spun around every time he's in there against the run, you know. And I, I, Carlos Watkins, okay, he's fine, but we've just got such glaring weaknesses I feel right now particularly linebacker and particularly in the front seven we just can't stop the run and you know I, there's, there's no cure you know it's it's doing the fundamentals right but we can't seem to do it and I thought Romeo's comments were telling you know about the wildcat play that sealed it in overtime was you know he said we practice this play and they sure. did not follow the responsibility and you know and I, so I mean that to me, you think, you know, okay, we're not talented. That's clear from the tape. But then when the coach comes, you know, the interim head coach comes out and says that, uh, that's even more worrying, I think, in some senses for the rest of the season in terms of the defense against the run. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a lot of different ways to win in the league. And I think the way that they have structured the team is to go, okay, we're going to do smart, tough, dependable people. I mean, that's their phrase, right? Uh, and <laughs> you can win with with players playing really well all together as a team without people with outstanding ath- athleticism, you know, above league average, but it is really hard to do that. And I think the other part of it is that the Texans offense is going to have to, and we know knew this before the season, the Texans offense is going to have to drive this bus and they are going to have to score early. Um, because if you score early, it's really hard to stay committed to the run. If, if you put a bunch of points on the other team, it's really hard to just keep, you know, running, running, running until you break one, one loose, even with this defense. And so what we saw in the second half of the game with the offense, they're going to just have to have 
quicker starts to give them a chance. I mean, I think that's, I think that's like looking at how this defense is performing. I mean, this is historically bad. Like this reminds me of 2006 with the Richard Smith defense where week after week teams were putting up tons of yards and Gary Kubiak finally said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give them some additional help coaching. And then you knew that it was pretty bad. So yeah, it was bad. Like it, Around. The, the repetition of the same issues, I think, is what becomes frustrating for, you know, for for watching it. And the, the slow starts is just something, you know, regardless of, you know, and you're right, the offense is, is got to got to, you know, be at the forefront of every game. But we found ourselves down 14-0 and just pulled a field goal back, you know, in, in the dying seconds of the second half to make up, you know, a four point game at, at the half. But yeah, and and again in the second half, come out, don't put any points up. You know when you've got a chance to script and prepare. Um, yeah. And and look, I mean this coaching, I mean the personnel decisions are clear. You know you've got guys like Brennan Scarlett who should not be an outside linebacker starting or getting the number of snaps he is. Um, but the but the coaching element I think comes into it as well because you just we just cannot seem to get out our way early enough. And I, I think the fact that we made it a game and we took the lead, you know, we were seven points up with, you know, less than two minutes to go. And, you know, and the way the offense roars back into the game in typical Deshaun style that we've seen so many times. But when it when for me, when it comes down to coaching, and if you watch that last drive, there's a there's a play, the one before Anthony uh, not Anthony Brown, um AJ Brown catches the uh, catches the, the 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 score to t- or to tie it up before the before the um before they need just to kick the PAT, but yeah. th- there's a play there where the defense is completely out of alignment and the, the, they're on a bunch bunch formation left hand side of the formation and there's just okay. simply not enough guys there to pick them up, and you know so they froze in the biggest moment we've seen that so many times with this current, and I know the coaching staff has changed on O'Brien because he, he, he did move out a lot of guys, but we've seen that so many times where it been New England, Seattle, 2017, 2018, Philadelphia, or 20, uh, 2019, New Orleans, all the same, you know. And yeah, that, that's what's the most disappointing thing, I think, just for Deshaun and, and as well as just as equally for the fan base. I mean, I, I guess I guess in some ways it's, Let's let's look at the bright side of that. The bright side of it is Deshaun Watson, even this early in his career, has has had the opportunity to do game-winning drives had you just had even a league average defense. Like if he has league average defense during the time that he's been been quarterback, he has he has game winning drives, so I guess I mean it could be worse. You you could have a quarterback that could even put you in that position, and and he's had an outstanding stretch of the last three games. I I just think that you know defenses across the league are having issues this year. Like quarterbacks are killing defenses this year, and maybe that is partially you know not having camp, not having much time to tackle. Um, but this is, this is, this is bad. Whoever the new GM is, is going to have to figure out a way to have a defense that makes more sense. I mean, Terrell Adams is now starting at middle linebacker. He is not, he's not a middle linebacker, you know? I think the contract's given out. I mean, if you look at it. I don't know what quite what's happened to Zach Cunningham, but he he seems his head looks spinning at times. I mean, if you watch the the big run with Derek Henry, he he looks inside the gap, and you can almost see Henry bait him into it, and then he take you know, and then he takes the C gap outside and cuts back across the field, you know, and goes all the way, you know, for ninety and ninety six yards or whatever it was, and and he's you know he he's not playing well you've invested in him Whitney Merciless I think has got the potential to be one you know he, he, there was times he did there but that's the first time he's his snap count has dropped and I think that's obviously an omission by 
what's the remain the remainder of the coaching staff that that contract was not a good one and you know his okay I know he's got some sacks in recent weeks but they weren't you know wholly down to him you know breaking breaking through the line and making the plays so it just feels like we've invested so much in everything but I I I think again looking on the bright side what I thought was you know, that's an AFC undefeated team top seed at the minute. And look, I don't think they'll be there in the number one seed at the end, Tennessee. But I don't think it takes that much with a quarterback like Deshaun to rebuild this team. If that's sort of the standard yeah. that you need to get, to, I, I, that actually gives me some comfort that that could be achieved comfortably in two years if we get all the off-field moves right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think most GMs say that having a quarterback in place makes everything else easier. I mean, it just does like, cause it doesn't matter what you do on defense or what wide receiver you draft or whoever you draft. If you don't have a quarterback, you're dead in the water. So the, the fact that the Texans have a quarterback who has at times in, in some ways overcome a lot of the scheme deficiencies that he's faced in the past I mean, is amazing. He's he's amazing. He's already done more things on a football field that I have never seen quarterbacks do. Now, part of that is watching a lot of Houston Texans football, but I mean, you know, he gets kicked in the eye and you know throws a touchdown. Okay, and I mean, he's just amazingly strong. Like you think that the other team has got him, and then they don't. I mean, I think the biggest concern for the Texans this year is that he is a brave quarterback and is is willing to take some punishment, and he needs to get out at the end of the season uh, in one piece. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. I think that's got to be the worst few you play. Because, I mean, let's let's just, you know, call a spade a spade. The rest of the games for the rest of the season are, you know, are meaningless apart from because you have to play them. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to make a playoff Birth, even though there's an extra spot this year when you thought it was almost impossible to miss the playoffs, we've seen to manage that. And and I think that's good because it gives you a chance to reset. Um, but I, I think at the same time there needs to be an omission, you know, from from some of the coaches here that we just need to let guys play because I mean you know, if you watched the watched the all twenty two, Kelamet, he was at fault numerous times. And you're playing a guy like that ahead of Max Sharping. You know, is Jonathan Greenard that bad at this stage of his career that he can't do any better than Brennan Scarlett? You know, and you think these, you know, and John Reed as well. Why is he not, you know, they moved uh, Philip Gaines out for one play, him and Lonnie Johnson, again, a guy who you've invested at corner, second, second round pick, plays out at safety. The only play that Philip Gaines comes in for gets hooked back out after he gives an easy touchdown to Adam Humphreys. You know, and that could have been John Reed making that mistake. You could have played him on outside because you were, you know, in the red zone or in the, you know, in the in the final twenty. So, you know, it feels like, yeah, these games are pointless. So you want to get through them the best you can, but you want to invest in your future at the same time. Now, I, I know the coaching staff are probably not going to be here, so there's an element of trying to win. But after Sunday, that window of trying to win's gone now. So you've just got to let these guys play and see what they've got because they need to get taped to know if they're going to be part of the future. Because ultimately now. As sad as it is to talk about it after six games, we're talking about the future now. And without, you know, obviously the top two draft picks well publicised, but it's it's going it's going to have an eye on the future now rather than in the present. Have a you know look into the future of where this team needs to get to rather than where it is now because where it is now is obviously not good enough. Yeah, and 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 you know even even watching the players that they have starting or as backups that's giving you tape too I mean I'm not sure how many of these players really should be a part of 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 the future of the Texans I mean I mean and, and the sad part is is if you look at some of the individual players I mean all players have pluses and minuses but if you're not playing well together as a defense or you have holes in some areas it makes everybody look bad like it's really hard to play above just a bad a bad roster. Like if you don't have steady play in in certain elements of of, of your game, you're just dead in the water. You know, David Johnson is a great example, and I do feel for David in a sense because he, 
he came in obviously, you know, beyond his control, and you know, you see Hopkins leading the league in receptions and breaking a long one yesterday again, and it's you know that these these become tougher over time, particularly when Blacklock's you know not necessarily playing. But I think you just got to throw in the fine and give him seventy, you know, seventy percent of snaps and and go for it. But David Johnson, I think you know again, it, it's a similar theme to the rookies now. I think we're in a position where okay, the run, you know, inside concepts aren't working, but actually if you use them almost exclusively as a check down, you know, short yarded receiver and some outside runs to, you know, to, to mix up your tendencies, then that's, you know, that's the way to go, you know, and run outside zone plays and get, you know, get the linemen who haven't really run a huge amount of that because particularly last year with Carlos Hyde, it was all kind of, you know, power up the A and B gaps. Yeah. Take a look forward and 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 what what this offense could be now. I just can't see for life me any GM that would come in or a coach that would keep David Johnson based on the TPOs because I mean I don't know how many times we've done it this year, Steph, but watching them trying to run it in short yardage with David Johnson, he's still getting seventy percent of the snap count when you think give him forty fifty percent and keep him fresh for the plays he does. Um, but that just seems like a move that's just. It, it seemed so obvious not to pay off, and it's it's come it's come to fruition probably as many would many expected. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like going in the wayback machine. Nobody, no normal teams play one back that much, particularly when they have that kind of lack of efficiency. Like it's bizarre there was all sorts of discussions of oh yeah we can use him as a receiver and I mean he hasn't really shown shown that this year and I, I'm not sure that the play calling really features that at all I, I mean I would I would think that a future GM would take a tough look at that contract um yeah, we're, we're going to have to, I think, aren't we? I mean, with the, with the I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Like, for example, in um, 2005, in just a disastrous season, they actually brought in a consultant midseason to analyze the entire team. And part of the analysis was, is, is David Carr the problem? And their, and their analysis was, no, David Carr is not the problem. Everything else is a problem. And so they extended his contract and then new coaching staff, you know, when they interviewed had to say, "Oh yeah, David Carr, we can we can fix David Carr because you've said that he's not the problem." And then they tried and then they, you know, said, "No, he is a problem." So I don't know. I don't know how this particular transition's going to go. Are there going to be Hey, we like this guy. He's a good character guy. You know, we have him under this contract. I mean, whether it's David Johnson or whoever, like, are they going to really take a tough look on those decisions that have been made in the last couple of years that a normal front office structure would not have done? Yeah, and I think that that I mean, yeah, look at O'Hont as the smart, tough, def- dependable, and you think, you know, and I agree. And I, I saw a couple of people call out on Twitter, but in the last couple of weeks, but you know, DeAndre Carter is a great example of that. He adds absolutely nothing uh-huh. to the special teams game at the minute. But you know, just as you know, there is numerous examples of those guys littered across the roster, and that that's probably been the biggest undoing, I think, of 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 this. You know, all these decisions was that mantra. And that that you know not not willing to maybe overlook some you know mild character flaws and uh, and and get you know, genuine footballers. And I'm not even sure that they're minor character flaws. I mean, by whose standards? I mean, there's yeah. football character. Does this player have the the characteristics of a good football player? And you know. You can talk all about, you know, valuing practice all you want, but if somebody shows up every single week is is you know getting to be an older player and needs to preserve their body for game day, you might not want to blow them out in practice. Like is is that a football character flaw to want to be available on game day and have functional hamstrings? I don't see that as a problem. Um but I mean, I think part of that is 
is a value, a value judgment. There is like personal character and football character. And I think, I think that, you know, sometimes if, if you have a hammer, everything's a nail. And if you're a character coach, then all that you seem to value is character, I guess. And, and a particular type of character that comports with your own. Yeah. And it outweighs the, the core responsibility or the, or the fundamental reasons why these guys are employed by the franchise. And the more you sort of pick at the surface of that, you know, philosophy, you know, it appears definitely to be one that's flawed. And I think obviously, you know, all the decisions, you know, not to go over old, old ground, but yeah. you know, they've, they've all, they've all compiled to the point where we're not a competitive football team in key areas. But I think, some of the positives for the game, um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, that, you know, the bomb of Fuller reminded me of the Philadelphia game. I know we said it was another late loss, but when, when, uh, when Watson threw that one to uh, uh, Vincent Smith, you know, the Jets, but, you know, he threw that one in deep and, you, and then, you know, it was just a real sign of intent. And I think that Watson talked about that in the off season. We didn't show that in the early games, but he talked about, we need to, have the mentality to swing the momentum when, when it's not going your way. And after that big touchdown run that they just coughed up two plays later, um, you know, it's uh, they've got the lead again. I think that for me, that's the the moments that you, you take away and you think that's the, the core skills and the, the and some of the play calling. And I think to be fair, that was probably Anthony, um, that would be Tim Kelly rather's, Best uh, best day as, as as the play caller, I think to this point, you know, not, you can see that in the points total, but but that yeah. that moment, I think you just think, yeah, okay, yeah, this guy's has got it, and yeah, it just it was nice to see that, I think, in some ways because he's had the deal, and you know, there's been okay games, but they're not been not been you know his his level, and that was his level again on Sunday, which I think was a positive. Yeah, to me. To me, I'll give more credit to the coaching when I see this in the first half of games. Yeah. yeah. But to your larger point, like, for example, that Vincent Smith touchdown, like that was a completely improbable touchdown and not too many quarterbacks in the league could have done that play. And I think that there's more of that to come. I, I, I'm very intrigued for the next steps of, of this offense with, with somebody who really has a really good sense of um, offensive scheme. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I do think that there's some parts on offense that you can deal with. And I think that um, with, with better assistance all up and down um, the offensive side of the ball, I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that would look like. Yeah. And it, it... You know the when you see the job that Arthur Smith was doing on the other sideline and the players he's doing it with, and you look at the, you know, and again we don't want to repeat back, but you see the overinvestment in the offensive line, and actually when you're getting the ball out quick and you're just carving a team up in zone looks that we were giving them, you know, you it, you can piece that well together with a good play caller, and it, you know, and it, and I, I, you know, and I was listening to a lot of the uh, the stuff about. Uh, Garoppolo, and and you think how good of a coach and a play caller is Kyle Shanahan that got a team to a Super Bowl when there's consistent murmurs year on year that they're not fully sold on their quarterback. So if that's what those guys and those top end level play callers can get out of me, you know mediocre to above average players, which Tannehill is, he's been that most of his season, but he's playing well and and credit to him. What can yeah. somebody good get out of a player like Deshaun, who's obviously got you know spades of more raw talent than those guys? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, that's the hope. You have Deshaun Watson. Desha- like, and, and frankly, in this season, I love Deshaun Watson's mentality on most things. I mean, I think he has a really good sense just generally of, of I, I can't say just positivity, but a, a good mentality towards a lot of things because – you know, you can go through all sorts of adversity in life and then come out of the other side of it with a sense of, okay, this is a game and let me play it well, you know? Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And I think that's when it comes good character. And that, I think that that's when it becomes a positive because you've got a guy who can play ball, but then you've got a guy who's got a character that also helps you off the field. And you don't always have to have both, I think, but the, you know, the, 
yeah, you've got to think the the upsides there, and, and you know, and there there is some small, uh, you know, positivity on on defense. I thought Bradley Roby, what an interception that was, you know, a key time, and that that was the moment I thought I think we might have got this. Uh, yeah. It wasn't to be, but I thought that was a hell of a play, um, you know, to catch it in the way he did and, and come down to the ground, not you know, not let it out of his out of his grasp, and you know, when you saw that the, the one against Minnesota late on that was ruled out by Fuller, and then the the, the tiny margins between that and the AG Brown one in the in the end zone to tie it late, you know, it doesn't take a lot, um, but that was a, a hell of a play, and and but yeah, but bar that on the defense, PJ Hall. I mean, even a guy like Justin Reed right now, I think he's just not playing to his potential, missing a lot of tackles. I think he's almost trying to do too much. And yeah. actually, when the pressure's on and they know they're not playing well, guy, you know, and, you, and Watt's always done that, right? And he did it uh, again at the weekend. He cut inside and it didn't, he didn't even need blocked. And and, and Henry, broke, um, you know, uh, run it outside for an easy gain, as he did with many uh, on Sunday. But th- there's not many pieces in that defence, you know, in a bar... Probably Bradley Roby and one or two others that you'd probably say, yeah, you keep. I think even Jacob Martin Flash. It doesn't get enough snaps, I think. But there isn't many guys there that you think will definitely, definitely be here in twelve months' time. Yeah, I mean, I think they have a lot of you know, like all players have pluses and minuses, and I think they have a lot of of situational guys and not enough. This guy is. This guy would be a starter no matter what team he is on. Yeah, because when you see guys like Anthony Furks are hitting you for fifty yards up the seam, it's uh, I think <laughs> that's that's uh, it's pretty telling. I think at that point of where you are, because we just sat in zone and they just easy, you know, people just breaking off, players just breaking off their route. They schemed it up all week, and it was it was it was carved up to the but point. I, I- I am intrigued at the whole idea that this is not just a Texans thing, that defenses across the league are really, really struggling. I think part of that is is that they're not calling a lot of holding this year compared to other years. And so offenses, offensive lines know this. And um, so if you can't if you can't get pressure on a quarterback pretty quickly most good quarterbacks are going to carve you up. And if holding doesn't exist and, and offensive lines kind of push the envelope of that. I mean, I think that is a big reason why um, defenses just generally are struggling. And then this one in particular is struggling as well. Yeah. Cause I mean, you even saw that, I mean, Fells had a good game and he sat, he's, I mean, they, they again, they play zone um, a lot of the time and he caught a lot of, uh, you know, just, you know, just sitting down in between the, in between their two inside linebackers a lot of the time, and and it was it was it was good. You know, it was good to see Fels have a good game, and I thought that play where they just put a nice little wrinkle in, Watson rolled out to the to the right, Clowney was chasing them, and Fels ran up and put us in the end zone. But it feels like we've almost got too many pieces on offense at times that we're just not making. You know, we're not making use of the talent we have. I think you know, and that's probably what you want to see between now and the years out, because you know, you think a guy like Kenny Stills is. You know, I know we got that PI and we got the ball at the one yard line, and okay, it took us to to a miraculous catch by or a great catch anyway by by Cobb to to uh, right on the pylon. Um, you know, because we couldn't punch it in again. But you know, you've got guys like you know Stills, who's just not really seeing many snaps, not making many plays. And then again, you've got guys like Duke Johnson, who's just not getting a, a run. And I thought he was one of the biggest positive additions of last year, was just his ability in the passing game for the checkdown. So it's it feels like we've almost got too much talent on that side of the ball, and we don't know what to do with it. And then we're the complete opposite on the other side. Well, I, I don't think that they have. I don't think that, first of all, the running game is a mess so you're just kind of throwing out some snaps and just throwing them away you know I mean it's not as bad as it was the first couple games where it's just like we're gonna run the ball to be balanced and somehow that will lead to a good offense I mean it's not quite that bad but they really haven't fully utilized their backs in smart ways so and and then just the overuse of, of David Johnson. It's like we're in the seventies. Like here's our here's our workhorse back. Let's just run him through the middle and you know a couple yards. And you know it's just it's just pretty retrograde. You know I'll be interested to see the evolution of of the running backs as a part of the offense and not 
looking just so like, here's our run, here's our pass. It's it just looks very disjointed. Yeah. And, you know, I, it gets to the point now where you think if they if they continue to run those plays, okay, you've got to, you've got to show a variance in the plays you call, but if they're yeah. going to run those plays, why not just get Buddy Hill to run them up the middle, at which they just seem desperate never to give them a snap beyond special teams or bring, yeah. you know, a guy like Scotty Phillips up on, he's a good one cut runner, out, you know, I think Old Miss he was from on the practice squad. Give him a go because at this stage right now, because watching David Johnson trying to pound it in from, you know, first and goal, second and goal, third and goal, can't get it, okay, we'll throw it, okay, we score. You know, and so you think, you know, I think Watson was 17 out of 19 on first down. He, and then it was almost tangible from the tape after that Fuller bomb that he caught, 53 yards, I think it was. You could almost see it in the body language of the secondary of Tennessee that, yeah, we better not get caught again. And yeah. And then, you know, and then they run some good plays and then they just run it and you just kill all momentum and you think, yeah, you've got, you know, and Cronell talked about that this week about you've got to go with what you're hot at. And it's definitely not running up the middle. So if we don't see another run up the middle for the rest of the season, unless it's, unless it's, you know, a quick draw play to get a couple of yards and set up, you know, the next down, then fine. Yeah. Strategically doing that, you can see every week this year, pretty much we've done that and just killed the momentum on the drive and put us, you know, behind the chains or in difficult conversions downs that sometimes got us off the field too many times that leads that means we're chasing games and like you said against teams that can run the ball well we're just not we're just not built for that yeah they they need to get they need to get on the board earlier they they can't mess around anymore they just do and and that and i'm you know it was amazing to me prior to the the firing of bill o'brien that if you looked at running quarterback yards watson was in the middle of the league that's crazy. And and most of his runs are like, okay, I'm in the pocket, I'm in the pocket, the pocket is gone, I'm bailing out. Like nothing, nothing intentional. Um, the the increase in play action is just welcome. Like, <laughs> like you have this quarterback that that has skill sets that are different than Tom Brady. Why are you why are you running this offense the way you are it's it's (laughs) hopefully that's all done yeah and and you know the the empty set stuff and going up tempo and 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 the biggest thing is 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 watching what and it was always a criticism of mine but in the last two weeks you've seen Watson be very vocal at the line calling out protections changing things at the line changing up the play and and call you know calling out hot reads and, and making adjustments, and you know and O'Brien was always big on you know he's got full autonomy at the line. I don't think he did. <laughs> like in the last couple of weeks, it seems like he was curtailed to a point of this is the play or that's the play, and that's it. Whereas I think he's got a bit more freedom, and you see you see that come in, and, and you know the yeah, it got us back in a position. It was good to see the offense. What did you think of the two-point conversion, Stephanie? I thought that was interesting. I was I, I, I think you go for it nine times out of ten for me. Yeah, I I didn't really I didn't really give it much of a thought. I mean, you you know what your defense is. You know that you're on the road. I I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, other than you know. I, maybe maybe a different play but you know it's easy to say that when something doesn't go right yeah and it's like it's a game of fine margins it could have easily gone there's a yeah. I, t- I took a screenshot of the of the moment where Cobb is completely free running across the middle and it felt like if he just adjusted the way Watson sort of spins to his right just meant yeah. he, he sometimes he, he just couldn't release the throw to his left just the way his body span out of he got some you know some pressure which again I think was Zach Fulton um, but it, it it almost felt like he should just run it in himself. I thought yeah. I mean, it looked like there was a hole, and it, it was just you know put this on yourself, do what we did in the Buffalo game. Um, you know when it's when it's you know I've got no issue with them running for it in, in those moments. And if, well, he didn't, the, if he didn't get it, he didn't get it. I would have rather that than a batted pass. That and I would like I would like teams to be more concerned with his legs. Yeah, yeah, because that opens other like. It should open up the running game more to have to have other teams more concerned with his legs. It should open up a lot of things because it just means that you have to defend every single player on the field. 
Yeah, and I think there was always that narrative right out there that, oh, you know, he had a broken rib in Jacksonville and that was in a Dallas game. And, and I've talked about it before. I was in energy. I was right on the right on the 10-yard line. I watched him try and run it in the end zone. I think it was Leighton Van Der Esch. Yeah, yeah. Crushed him. And he, that was what I hit. So, but that was a moment at the end of the second half where we were trying to pound it and actually walked off the field with nothing. And, you know, I think there was, there was there's a difference between, you know, got to have it, players like that. You, you get two on the board. They can't come back in the game. You've won the game at that point. Yeah, go for it then. I think there's always been a, you know, a, a, a fear or a, or, a, or, a, or a reticence to go out and just, and, and actually, you know, choose wisely when they runs. But I think when, when it's just in the open field, when the, as you said, when the pocket collapses and, you know, teams are backing off, maybe two cover two, cover three, and there's a big gap in the middle of the field, he's got the ability to slide so he shouldn't, or, you know, run out of bounds. So he should never be hit in those instances. The only instance where he should be hit is if he's standing in the pocket to deliver a throw long down the field and the pass protection breaks up, which is not his fault, but it's part of any quarterback will get. And then it's goal line issues like that. I don't, you know, I think it's, it's manageable to, to, to avoid any hits that he doesn't need to take. And I think he's smart enough at this stage in year four that he can do that. And they maybe just need to take the reins off him, but maybe not in the sense as much that, that the Buffalo, that the Bills did that last night with Josh Allen. They just ran too much, came predictable. And and, uh, and and it was obviously because they were struggling through the air. But Watson's a far better passer. That was obvious from last night's game. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think the other part of it is if you try, like, if you look at just normal statistics on quarterback injuries, most of them happen in the pocket. They don't happen because the quarterback was running. Because, as you said, you can run out of bounds, you can slide. And I, I think he has fairly good judgment with that. I think, I think one of the issues of the O'Brien era is that they were so concerned with him getting hurt his first season that they, in some ways made it harder for him to stay healthy you know that if you if you put so many training wheels on your offense and you know extra protection da 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 that's not his game you you were <laughs> you're hindering him and and I think at some point if you're so worried about somebody getting hurt you can create a situation where they they get hurt i mean it's football injuries happen but you know, having designed runs that minimize those kind of risks, I have no problem with, and and you should be using them in that way. That's you have Deshaun Watson as your quarterback. Why not? Yeah, and you could you could see that from the some of the angles on the on the twenty two where you see him running and you see a guy. You know, there's certain players the way they run and how quick they run are different to other types of players, and you see that it's so clear. So I think that there's times for him to do it. Um, being selective, I think, and he's so strong. So, like you know, an arm tackles, you know, he just runs runs through people. Like it's amazing because he's not he's not a huge person, you know, not like like you know he's not Cam Newton size, but boy, it's hard to it's hard to. Yeah, and you know, and you think you go back to that character point as well. You know, when you when he sort of you know professed his love for O'Brien after the Kansas City game. And that was the kind of nice guy off the field, whereas, you know, by all reports, Hopkins came into the into the dressing room after and said, look, you know, at the locker room and said, look, I'm out. I've had enough of this. And that was the tipping point. And probably a guy that's maybe not, you know, all those things being off the field. So you, you, you wonder if, if he'd maybe had that attitude. We might not. And we're in a position now where, as we said, the games don't matter, and and we're we're probably looking to the future. I, I don't know if you saw the article by uh, Jason Lacafora out before the game, and Albert Breers followed it up in his up in his column. Um, and I know you you tweeted out the uh, the, the Ryan or the Albert Breer uh, comments on the Ryan uh, Russell podcast about Easter being the moves. Now it's common practice for teams that are out the race to trade players, but I think yeah. I wrote an article pre. The game that you've got a harrowing notion of Jack Easterby managing these trades, so I'm kind of torn between. I think it's the right thing to do, but I, I, whatever we do, I don't think we'll get any value. Now, Albert Breer said in his comment today, thinks they're going to look at you know basically all the wide receivers are in terms of trade value, but I don't know what what you get for any of them. Yeah, that's that's the hard thing. I mean. Fans will talk about, oh, well, we could get rid of this contract or this contract or this contract, but, I mean, what are you going to get from them? 
I mean, especially this year, you know, uh, pandemic trades are a little, little different because, you know, you know, knock on wood, we're not guaranteed a whole season here. You know, we're not guaranteed that there are predictions that we are going to have a lot more uncontrolled spread of coronavirus. So, and we can talk about trading for, for players down the stretch run, but we're not even guaranteed of a full season. I, I know that teams are being more mindful of finances this way. And there's, you know, discussions of that with the Astros. I mean, I, you know, if, if I look at the Texans roster as a, as a, a GM, I mean, maybe I try to take advantage of the Cal Easter B thing. And, but I mean, there's not that many players that I'd really want to target. Yeah. I think Albert Breer said, he's calling me. He said the, the Cal's willingness oh. to, to <laughs> let, to let Easter do these trades will be a good sign of, you know, how much of a role he plays moving forward. And I know you and I have got exactly the same opinion of, I don't want the man anywhere near this club, and I think you know the you know any GM worth his salt will send him packing day one and get him out of there, you know, because I don't think he should be here. And look, I'm not saying he's, he's not a nice guy, but he's he, he, there's there's ways and means that you get ahead in life, and a lot of those times people to exhibit behaviours that you know maybe you know your average person wouldn't do. So I don't know how quite how he's got to that. I'm not saying he's done anything untoward, but he's he's certainly got himself in a position more than his his credentials would would probably suggest that he should be in. Yeah. Just just to sum it up for people who may not be as familiar with it, Cal McNair is the owner of the Texans. He has been very involved with, you know, the day-to-day of the team for a long time. Like, he's been at practices for many years. Um, he played football in college. Um, and, you know, after after Easterby came by, uh, um, after Jack Easterby came to the Texans, he came to the Texans after he originally was supposed to be going to the Colts with Josh McDaniels. And then Bill O'Brien brought him in uh, in a more expanded role than he had in New England, but he was somebody that would understand the New England way of doing things. And Jack Easterby was described by some as the henchman. And part of the, the concern that, people have about him is he did some evaluation of people in New England and all the football people are going, why is this person who is not a football person evaluating me? And so he made various changes that were questionable when they were done, um, including trying to get Nick Casario from New England uh, and kind of doing it in a botched way, you know, where it was pretty obvious to outsiders that it looked like he was tampering, that, you know, they fire Brian Gain, uh, an actual GM, try to get Nick Casario. New England rightfully has a fit about it. And then, then they come up with this concept of GM by committee, which is ridiculous on its face. And then even worse, like, you know, the, then the following year, they named Bill O'Brien as the GM, but the whole time he was the most reluctant GM ever. I mean, the idea was, okay, we're going to have somebody be responsible for the GMing, right? Like somebody we can point to as the final decision maker, but they were still doing GM by committee. And as I understand, contemporaneous to, to the deals being done, that Easterby was a primary factor behind the timing of the Clowney trade and the timing and value of of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Like they were arm in arm with A, having a GM by committee and B, the decisions and contracts that were made during that time. And so, you know, when people... After, after O'Brien's gone and Easterby is elevated to the interim GM, people were rightfully going, hey, can you get a real GM in here? And, um, and so Cal made it clear that he is just the temporary GM, 
but that um, they're going to get a real GM and a real head coach. And there have been discussions by a lot of people that says, you know, if people have choices, why would they want why would they want Jack Easterby in the building, given that he's so close to the owner? Uh, why would they want a non somebody with not a, a true football scouting playing background be the head of their football operations? And why would you trust that person? Now, the the commentary that's happened after that is well, he's connected, and he will likely bring some New England people in. Or, you know, or other people that he has connections to. And I think the answer to that is there are questions about whether those people would feel comfortable with somebody who has an ear so close to the owner making those decisions. And I think the other part of it is it's not really truly a fresh start. Like he was, he was a key part of some of those decisions. He has ownership of some of those decisions. He and Cal may be too close to some of those decisions. And can you really get a free, like a, a, a new start from that? I mean, is this just another situation where, you know, people are saying David Carr's not the problem and then the new coach and the new GM pretend like, okay, we can deal with this, but it really is not something that can be dealt with. Like this is, this is an issue. Um, like right now there is so much season left. And the Texans have somebody who has a background of being a chaplain, a character coach, and, you know, a jack of all trades being the GM. And the person who was like, if you went through the top 10 worst decisions the Texans have made in their, you know, 20 year history, Easterby would be at the center of probably some of the worst decisions, including having a GM by committee. I mean, it's amazing to think that you can be a part of creating something that gives you a promotion. <laughs> it's, it's astonishing really. And, and we'll have to see how this goes, but the, the best information that I understand is he's under a long-term contract He's close to the owner, so I guess we just need to be used to it. And we're only going to get GM and head coaching um, people that are okay with him staying in the building. Yeah, you got to hope that's not the case because he, I mean, and I know Cal sort of made a comment. Well, we're just giving him the title because the league office like to see such titles, and but the the, the length of the contract, the the fact that I mean, he's obviously orchestrated the guy who brought him in. He's orchestrated to get that same guy's departure at the building. And, you know, and I think, you know, you and I could talk for another 50 odd minutes about all the mistakes that have led to this point over the last, you know, so many years. But I think it, all those mistakes were rooted in the fact that they didn't bring in a new GM when they brought in Bill O'Brien. You need to have the, the general manager and the head coach in lockstep. And a lot of people would say that wouldn't work. And, you know, but if it didn't work, then that was a, that was a time to say, well, we start again. Um, if it's not going to work, because I think if if it's not a true clean slate, then we are in a huge, you know, or a perilous position that we could waste the prime years of a transcendent talent. I think, I hope Cal isn't that ignorant and that blinded by his own relationship with Jackie's B. Whether he's, he talks a great game and he make, you know, and he's, and he, you know, and he massages his whatever he needs to do to, 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 to say the things that Cal wants to hear, but he's got to, make sure that this is a true clean slate, not a half-baked one. Because if it is a half-baked one, then you, you you let problems fester. And it festered right through the O'Brien era with different GMs to the unique model, as they called it, the committee approach, which is just was basically Brian Gaines' leftover guys and Baz are getting a lip for it. And, uh, and, and they just sort of pieced it together as they went along as if it was just going to be a short-term thing. But then they, they ran it over a number of seasons. And now the as you see a 600 yard defense is or negative 600 yards is the result of that when you get embarrassed by you know when you play in a division of teams that all want to run the ball how could it, how is it conceivable that you could let your defense be in a position where you can't defend the run and that's because you had people making personal decisions that didn't know what they were doing and as you said Easterby was right at the heart of that and you can't you can't recreate the New England model 
So don't try and let's have a Houston, Texas model that we can call our own. And hopefully he's not part of that because if he is part of these trades, I mean, but I, I, I don't, I don't even think there's many. You may get say a fourth for Kenny Stills, or you know, because you you probably have to pay teams to get rid of Whitney Marshallis. You probably, you know, nobody's going to take Zach Cunningham. He was mentioning the thing. Bradley Roby, maybe, maybe somebody's willing to splash a third on a corner. We did it in Garen Connolly, and now he's not going to play the rest of the season. So, you know, he may get some value, but I think when you're in this position of selling because you yeah. have to, you've got no leverage. Just like when you're trying to. When you're trying to, you know, trade a, a star wide receiver who wants a deal, you know, well beyond what what's feasible in a climate of a declining salary gap, you've not got leverage. So therefore, actually, you know, have we learned? And actually, the best action at that point is to do nothing rather than try and do something when it might not be the right thing for the franchise in the short, medium, and you know, and sometimes in the longer term. I the the, the number one takeaway that I think that everyone should take from just the front office stuff is the fear that most Texan fans have is just the one that has been the one over the whole history of the franchise. You wasted Andre Johnson's career. You're probably wasting J.J. Watt's career. And you don't want to waste Deshaun Watson's career because you haven't put a roster together or coaches together that can help them succeed. And the biggest fundamental issue that the McNairs have had since the beginning is that their view of football is really narrow. Their experience in football is really narrow and they've relied on people who were kind of learning on the job. You know, their best draft was with Charlie Casserly when Charlie Casserly was forced to work with somebody with a completely different football orientation in, in Gary Kubiak. And then they had, Rick Smith, who was learning on the job, and now they have Jack Easterby, who is learning on the job. And there's so many more football options out there of people who are not learning on the job, who have a wide understanding of what it takes to put winning football on the, on the field. And it is very difficult to recreate the New England model because Bill Belichick is a subset of one. There is no other person like him. He can coach every position on the field. And you can't replicate that, especially with the kind of thin staff that the Texans had that kind of tried to emulate that model, but it was like a bad, you know, copy. Yeah. And, you know, the I think what, you know, and whether, um, Corn Ferry are going to the agency that you knew Cal was going to hire before this even yeah. before even O'Brien was yeah. was fired. But yeah, they're one of it's one of thirty two jobs in each in each position in the world. So yeah. you know, there's got to be there's got to be you know an extensive search because you did it early and partly okay you could say you did it early because you know you thought the season was still left to play and it was that was true in some sense but now it's not. So there's there's got to be a sense of explore every feasible option to make sure you get this right because you won't get this opportunity again. And if yeah. you do get it again, it's probably too late because if you give in a coach another four or five year deal at that point, yeah, you're probably going to have to pay Watson again and his percentage of your salary cap is probably even heightened. We don't know what the new TV deals are going to like. So you've got no real, you know, forecastable amount that you can, you can rely on where that cap will be. So, you know, I, it, He's got to get it right, and I hope he does. Um, and you, you'll maybe see a bit, you know, in the next coming weeks with these trade decisions and what have you, and see where see where it goes. But yeah, it's it's a it's a long it's a long road they've got to start now. But yeah, there's there's limited signs that we've seen over the past that will that will give you faith. And I think we, you know we talked about defenses struggling, and a def- defense that certainly didn't struggle was the Tampa Bay Bucks, and they. Gave you know 30, 36 unanswered points to Green Bay, and Rogers looked like he'd thrown in the towel in his traditional manner. A guy who's you know whose character character is definitely not probably smart, tough, defendable, but he's a hell of a quarterback, and he's a great example for Houston about a guy who's probably a Hall of Fame talent. He's probably going to finish his career with only one Super Bowl, which is which is a shame for considering yeah. a guy who's talented. Welcome him to NRG Stadium with a good run game on Sunday. Again, these games are, it almost feels a bit academic talking about them, but any chance for a win, do you think? Oh, yeah. I, I I think that anytime that you have Deshaun Watson as your quarterback, you have a chance of winning. I mean, that's 
that's the interesting thing about any kind of Texans game is just watching what he can do and is allowed to do. You know, like if he actually gets to throw the ball or if it just keeps on going to David Johnson. I mean, it, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge because, you know, Green Bay is probably looking at this game as a nice bounce back game. And it's a good candidate for it, because if you give Aaron Rodgers time, which he likely will have, uh, he can he can pick apart your defense. I mean, he knows he knows where the ball should go. So if he has time, he can do that. Um, and so it's going to be a question of whether the Texans can outscore him, and I think that is a possibility. They have the capability. Yeah, and the and the the, the, the plays that I picked up, and I just watched the forty minute version, but the plays that I picked up, and you you had. Troy Aikman talking about Green Bay not being able to defend the outside run. So, you know, line that up with, Dave, you know, David Johnson and Duke Johnson as the, your primary go-to. And I think as well that the, you know, obviously we don't have Levante, David and Devin White as linebackers. We've got the uh, probably the antithesis of that level of talent. But, you know, I think, you know, the the the, the, the blitzes up the middle and the A and B gaps was 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 you know definitely pertinent in this game and they and they gave him a hard time and he and he threw it away. Now I don't think our defense is anywhere near the Tampa Bay's level, but yeah, I think it's right. Can we consistently huh. hang with them and, and have a shootout? And again, it might be another epic defeat. We'll add it to the list that we talked about all those games, but I think it there is that solace or you can take that small portion of of light that you know you've got you know some fun games to watch and this is probably a good setup one for you know two defenses to go you know to, to, two defense to try and keep their team in the game and i think it'll be a case of a shootout and hopefully it's not like that one the last time they came to nrg was that 2012 where they uh they made the texans look like pretenders rather than contenders when we thought it was the latter i think <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say i i actually went to the snow game in lambeau and uh, that was fun until it was not fun. Um, but that was a different defense back then too. Yeah, and Brock Osweiler, you know. So you think of how competitive this team was at nine and seven with guys like that. You know, we just we just haven't made that jump. Well, uh, and, it, and it's just so sick that it took so long to get a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's sickening. Yeah, so I think there's, there's a chance, as you said, there's a chance any time Watson's out in the field on Sunday to get a to get a win and hopefully we can, you know, spread the ball around for at least one more week before anybody might may, may well depart us for uh, future future chips of uh, affordable talent. You've got to draft right, obviously, and that's that's the big thing. And hopefully we'll see some of these guys that haven't played get an opportunity in the next couple of weeks. And, yeah, it's probably just it – it's a bit like – and Kubiak's last year's. But like, you know, the, the funny thing about this is this was completely foreseeable. The Texans yeah. have had just a really tough schedule. Like, it's an extraordinarily tough schedule. And it doesn't get a lot easier later in the season. Like, this is this is a death march schedule. So, I mean, this this season is survive this season. Figure out what you need to do figure out better football minds in the building and give the players that you have the best opportunity to succeed. And I, and, and I think part of that is just the roster composition. Yeah. Cause looking at the schedule and I remember it looked like a potential coach killer at the start, but I think yeah. probably what's changed and it changes week to week, but what, what the complexion of the later games this year with Chicago, we've got the, and you've got that either side of, you know, a hosting and a trip to Indy. You've got Cincinnati who have been okay and probably be more competitive than people thought they would have been. And then you've got to play New England and you've got to play Cleveland who are running the ball well and are in a run-heavy attacks. Like we said, teams that we can't, we're not you know, designed architecturally to, to withstand that sort of type of attack. And then you've got Detroit who actually looked quite good yesterday for the first time. So, yeah, I think it, it changes a lot and it will continue to change throughout the year. But... It'll be yeah. I, I I'll be. I think we'll, if we get back to six, seven wins, then that should be our floor at any point with the Sean. But I, I can see it going that way. But um, at least it'll be a bit of. Hopefully, if we can continue to put offensive performances like Sunday, then at least there'll be a bit of fun along the way, and and we can start hopefully seeing some green shoots of new players coming through. 
that will give us hope for future to help Deshaun rather than detract that currently some of the guys we've got in the field are doing right now. Yeah. Well, this has been delightful to talk to you. Yeah, no, thank you for your time, Stephanie. It's been great. I'm sure we could probably do another hour of uh, of of the mistakes of uh, the, <laughs> the regime past, but um, I've probably talked about them enough. But, uh, Stephanie, thanks very much for your time and uh, definitely have you up on again before the season's out. I appreciate it. Thank you.